Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Welcome to this episode where we're going to discuss some key unmet needs in the management of patients with um, surgery with surgically resectable early stage lung cancer. And first of all, I'm going to go to Dr. Tricia Cottrell, who's an immunopathologist, to discuss um, some of, of these considerations in more detail in terms of particularly um, EGFR and ALK testing for patients with um, newly diagnosed resectable lung cancer and how that impacts our care and how we can work that into our work schedules. Uh, Dr. Cottrell. Thank you. So obviously we're in an exciting area where we have next generation sequencing that can identify a a handful of targetable mutations and some really exciting trial data to support using targeted therapies uh, in that subset of patients. Clinically, you know, we have a challenge with trying to manage a very small pre-treatment biopsy and getting as much information as possible out of it as quickly as possible. Um, Targeted assays uh, can sometimes offer us a much quicker result, but using panels for next-generation sequencing can offer us a much broader set of uh, data regarding the patient's, um, the tumor's mutational status. So I I think it is a current challenge in uh, the capacity of these labs to turn around uh, molecular testing results quickly is certainly uh, a challenge. So there's a balance between a sort of an optimal workflow and a practical workflow. And in the setting where molecular data is not going to be available in a timely fashion for a surgically resectable patient, it's probably better to get that patient to surgery um, and find out whether or not they're eligible for these targeted therapies in the adjuvant setting. I would also add that an area of active investigation for pathology is um, validating uh, pathologic response as an endpoint in these clinical trials. And we have some other um, episodes where I I get into detail on that. Excellent. And Dr. Peters, you uh, were one of the leaders of one of the major adjuvant trials recently, the PEARLS trial, uh, which has just been published. Um, Can you comment on that trial and potential indications for adjuvant pembrolizumab? Yeah, thanks a lot. It was um, a trial led, of course, sponsored by the company because of a very large size of the trial, but it was uh, made by two collaborative groups in Europe, which was nice in terms of trying to define what makes sense as endpoints, the ROTC and the ETOP. And basically, the trial done um, a kind of a standard in stage 1B to stage 3A. 1B is more than 4 centimeter. And the idea was to try to find uh, an event for a disease-free survival, which would be um, uh, across all the ITT population or as an alternative secondary dual co-primary endpoint only in high PDL1. So this trial was nice in the fact it was showing a benefit in disease-free survival in the ITT population. So uh, across strata of PDL1 and in stage 1B to stage 3A. But when we are looking at the dedicated subgroup, which was supposed to have the highest magnitude of benefit, as seen in all trials in lung cancer, the high PDL1, it was not found to be significantly beneficial in this specific subgroup. So very strange, ITT is positive, so the huge group, uh, but the very dedicated one with with, with the expectation of being the best for pembrolizumab was not. And just looking a little more deeper in this, this data of high PDL1, it's quite reassuring to see that pembro is over, is performing better there. You have this incremental of benefit of pembro by, uh, by stratum of PDL1, the highest, the best, but we had an unexpected and probably not expected 
explainable uh, I would say overperformance of the standard arm, the control arm in this high PDL one. We probably never explain it. It's probably a combination of prognosis prognostic factors there, but it's not because of, of PEMBRO. PEMBRO is reliably doing better according to the strata of PDL one. So I think this trial can conclude of a benefit of PEMBRO in stage one to three B uh, one B to three A non-small cell lung cancer, regardless of PDL one. I think it would be a fair statement there. And that was a placebo-controlled trial, was it PROS? Absolutely, it was. Yeah, so, so probably in, in terms of design, the strongest of these three trials that we're talking about, R010, Checkmate H16, and PROS. Um, Dr. Spicer, could you um, discuss some of, uh, of the considerations? Which patients would you, for example, prefer adjuvant therapy? I think we've heard from Dr. Cottrell, those patients for whom despite our best efforts, we cannot obtain EGFR results and non-squamous, of course. Um, but are there other patients for whom adjuvant therapy are appropriate and, and any other considerations and, and unmet needs in particular um, in early stage lung cancer? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think just starting from the recent data that Dr. Altorki presented the world lung on, on uh, stage 1A, where we saw DFS only about 70% at five years from, from resection, whether it was a sublobar or, or a lobectomy, indicates to me anyways that we have issues with uh, with progression of disease, even in the earliest of operable stages. So to, to me, it's clear that there's an unmet need in that regard, and and we still have very little trial data and the 1Bs and 2As, the no negative patients. Uh, and even if you extend to the 2Bs in, in Checkmate 816, it was a small proportion of the study. So in terms of understanding neoadjuvant versus adjuvant treatments in, in that context, we probably need quite a bit more data. I think that the biomarkers we have uh, available to us post-resection for those who treated with upfront surgery are still clearly lacking in terms of understanding, you know, when to assign immunotherapy. We're, we're seeing sort of conflicting results based on PDL1. Uh, is there something about the stage, the tumor microenvironment that we could better leverage that maybe Dr. Cottrell could be, be giving us additional data to indicate uh, which patients are going to do better with adjuvant IO and as opposed to perhaps not offering that, that treatment, which is kind of a, a long course of of therapy with its uh, own toxicities and, and whatnot. So I think th those are the decision tree in the adjuvant space, I think remains quite complex. And, and um, you know, obviously I defer to to you, my medical oncology colleagues, but but we, we do need to be informed as surgeons as to how to how to discuss these path reports with our patients and and, and help them orient, uh, be oriented to the conversations they'll have with you ultimately. Yeah, and I think I would add that I think the, Involving um, surgical colleagues in, in these trials at an early stage in design is, is very important in that often the, the patient's major, it's a major emotional and stressful event to go to undergo surgery, and that becomes a very close bond. So patients will often reach out to their surgeon and get guidance as well as their medical oncologist on, on how to approach the adjuvant setting. And that discussion can be guided by, by multiple people. Um, just to go back a little bit on... Um, at the, the other adjuvant trial, Dr. Peters, at the Empire 010. So say, for example, both trials were available, uh, both adjuvant therapies were available to you tomorrow. Um, which would you consider? So, so adjuvant atezolizumab or adjuvant pembrolizumab for a patient with stage 2 lung cancer? 
Yeah. So Zayan Power Chen, who is at Tesla right, was asking really the same question with some differences, as we said, as compared to Perth, but the same question about the role of adjuvant uh, I.O. The differences in Zayan Power Chen, the chemo was mandatory, some differences, right? But the results and the statistical design of Zayan Power Chen was one of this hierarchy, I would say a complex way to, to acknowledge and look at data, but basically showing again, a benefit. But in IAM Power 10, the benefit was mainly seen in high PD-1 expressors. And in Europe, that's where we have the registration only in more than 50% pd one In some other countries like uh, the US, like Japan, China, you have this uh, chance of having potentially a larger way to prescribe in positive pd one So I guess, of course, we need for the patients to follow what is registered. But I would not really bet that there are main differences in, in between these drugs. So I think patients with fully resected non-small cell lung cancer, stage 1b to stage 3, should be proposed adjuvant chemo and IO. The problem is what do you have in your hands being reimbursed, available and accessible for the patient might be the main discriminant. And today it's uh, only antezolizumab in, in our countries in the adjuvant setting. If Pembro comes in all comers, it's not because it's more beneficial to me. Just complete the picture of what you can really prescribe without fearing no reimbursement. So I think it's going to be something more guided, unfortunately, by what you can really access to for your patients. I would probably suppose, maybe I'm wrong, that the results are, I would say, equally showing a benefit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think to go back briefly to Dr. Spicer, just... Those patients, so so obviously we aim for optimal outcomes at all times, but real life can be different, um, and Dr. Cottrell perhaps as well. But in those patients at surgery who have a microscopic positive margin, even macroscopic disease left behind, um, how do you approach those patients in terms of, of post-operative management? So this is really tough. I, I, I think um, it's important to remember that these adjuvant trials excluded all these patients with positive, whether microscopic or po- grossly positive margins, but but they're the ones who have probably the worst outcome of, of the resected population. It's not that infrequent. So uh, I think radiation has a role to play here. Clearly, uh, that 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 probably needs a bit more investigation. But uh, but probably including these patients in future future adjuvant trials and, and getting a better understanding of how to support them will be will be very important. Okay, well, um, thank you all for joining me today um, and for joining us in this discussion. And there are several other episodes which address specific aspects of of management of surgical lung cancer in this new era. Um, thanks again. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.